Lord be with you. And I want to share some verses here, which I believe will help us so greatly in discovering our walk in the love of God. It is in Isaiah chapter 55, and they are verses that if you have a somewhat working knowledge of the Scripture, you've read them before. You might have heard them if you've never read them. Um, and, and I'm going to quickly read, uh, because I want to get a context here. So let's read from verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will have compassion on him. Let him return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from the heavens, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Okay, I read all of that because so many people, um, they, they, they zero in on two verses there. The one is, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And then they go to this other one uh, without any reference to the other, um, that the word of God does not return to him empty. But the fact is, it's all one passage, and you can't dance around like that and, and get away with it. Um, the, these verses fit tightly together. And, and so, um, first of all, let's look at what is the, the general context. He, he is, it's a call in the Old Testament but a call to come and receive forgiveness, come and receive acceptance, come and know God, because he said God is having compassion on you, which is the word that describes that love in dynamic action, doing in our lives. And he says he has compassion. He feels what you feel. He stands where you stand. And his love would embrace you and save you. And then he parallels that by saying that he will abundantly pardon. That's interesting. I mean, what's the difference between pardon and abundantly pardon. I mean, a pardon is a pardon, sort of. I mean, you can be a criminal in federal prison and get a pardon. And what that will be will be a cold letter to say you're pardoned, and they'll take off your shackles and lead you out of the building, and there you are, dumped and free, but pardoned, legally so. That's pardon, I guess. 
but abundantly pardon. Well, that takes me more to the son who comes home from the far country and comes smelling of pigs and smelling and looking like the kind of life he's been living and coming with bent shoulders and guilt on his lips as he says, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And the father runs, rushes to him and gives him a bear hug and kisses him all over. I would call that abundantly pardoned. You get the difference. Abundantly pardoned speaks to love fulfilled. Whereas I, I think, and I'm pushing the envelope a bit here, but pardon can mean just some legalese uh, w- without any love or acceptance attached to it. Abundantly pardon. When, when God pardons, it's the overflow of his love in which he says, I will never again bring to mind sin and iniquity. And, and so that's when he says... My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. What's he saying? He said, I know what you're thinking. You would never do this. If you want to make up a God, if you want to invent a God out of your own brain, uh, he wouldn't be one that abundantly pardons. it's, It's interesting to go around the cultures of the earth that have tried to invent what God must be like, and they all turn up with a God that can't wait to get his hands on you to tear you to bits because you've done something wrong, and so he'll punish you. Now, that's God as the human thought has it, a God that, of course, he must be angry at sin. Of course, he must punish. Of course, there's no hope for you. Well, that's that's your thoughts. I mean, mean, it's human thinking. But the Lord says, though you have uh, been hostile to me, though you have rejected everything I've said, I will ha- I'm having compassion on you. I will abundantly pardon and believe it because your God is not just some great extension of the best that humans can come up with. He stands alone. He stands other. There's nothing like him in all creation. And yes, his thoughts are not your thoughts. He deals with people entirely differently to the way we would. And certainly, if we're on the sidelines watching, we get rather upset because we feel, like the Pharisees, that he shouldn't be having compassion on these people. We can understand it if he has it on people more like us. But you you know what I mean. We we can announce the love of God to those that are at the bottom of the moral barrel. And and many say, now, just hold hold it a moment, you know. It can't be be that extreme. Well, you see, that's because your thoughts are not God's thoughts. Your ways are not God's ways. Um, That's what that, that text means. And then it goes on. To, to say that these utterly other thoughts of God, these thoughts of God that are love, 
They don't have love. They are love. The thoughts of God, the, the going forth of God's being with, I say it, an unearthly, an unearthly love, unconditional love, love that is reckless in its pursuit of the ungodly, un, unheard of love, love that there's no file in our brain to understand. He says, it's high above the earth. And it's the same way. Then he brings in the illustration. He says, same way, that, that high above the earth are the clouds, you see. And, and out from the clouds, down to earth, comes the rain and comes the snow. And he says, it, it comes on a mission. It's not, it's not just a, a thing that happens. He says, it's a mission to water the earth. And as it comes to water the earth, its mission is incomplete until the earth begins to spring forth. It has enough rain and snow to bring forth after its kind, after the seed that's in it, and sprout. And as it does so, it not only satisfies the hunger of the immediate persons there, but also it gives seed so that it can reproduce itself. And so he says it's seed to the sower, bread to the eater. Then he says, so shall my word be. What word? The word that is higher than our thoughts and higher than our ways and blowing our mind to look at. My word. It's the same way, he says, as the rain. My word. It goes forth from my mouth, goes out from my mouth, and it shall not return empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So he says that coming into our earth realm, into our most miserable thoughts about God, and our most miserable expectancy of him, there comes this unbelievable announcement of his word, his promise. He comes to tell us, I'm not like you. I don't treat you like you would treat another human. My ways are not your ways. And that's his word coming to us in a multitude of promises and statements his word. And he says, I'm sending it out just like the rain. And it comes, my word comes into your soil. And it brings forth after its kind. So that in the midst of the human situation, there come thoughts and imaginations and words and actions that are in accord with the thoughts of God. Because he said, my word, when I send it into the earth, into your life. It will accomplish what I desire. And I'm not sending a suggestion. I'm sending a word that will accomplish what I desire. And it shall not return to me without succeeding. It will be a massive success in the matter for which I sent it. Okay. There it is. And of course, that last uh, verse or part of it I read, that you, you will go forth with joy 
That's God sort of stamping his love foot and saying, you will, you surely will go forth with joy. You will go out with peace. So, there you have it, you see. Um, um, and I, I'm fascinated, and this is what I want to get at now, I'm fascinated with that verse that tells us the way the Word of God goes forth. He said, it, it proceeds out of my mouth. Now, I, I don't know how you think about your words. Uh, here in the West, we don't think much about them at all. And let me say as an aside, for that reason, we have a hard job understanding God's Word. Because God's Word and the way the people of the Scripture understood words is that words are actually the being of God, the very self of God coming forth out from God in sound form. Do you understand? So it's not just, as I've, I've heard people say, well, it's just words. Um, you, you, you must understand in Scripture there's no such thing as just words. The, the very beginning of it all in Genesis 1, it says, and God said, and then you have the six days of creation, and every time God said, it was so. And so he said you know, let there be light. And, and, and in the Hebrew language, it's much more, uh, shall I say, um, strong. Uh, it, it's almost like uh, light be, light was. And so when God said, as he himself in sound form spoke into the abyss, it, light came out of nothingness, and and so, you know, trees appeared, dry land, and so on and so on. God said, God said, go through Genesis 1. Our creation came out from the speaking of God, and it holds together by his word. So the New Testament shows. And so, word, just, just, the word the Word of God, but also remember you're made in His image. And so words have creative power. It's actually frightening to know the kind of power words have in our mouth. But when I come to God and God speaks out from His being Himself and He comes in His Word and his word comes to accomplish what he desires to succeed, be successful in the matter for which it was sent. And as I say, if we think our words are nothing, we tend to think God's words are nothing. No, it comes out of his being, and it says that it was a word on a mission, it was sent. And it was sent with desire. That is the, the longing heart of God, what he, he willed and wanted and desired. Comes out from God. See, it's not something somebody said who was standing beside him and said, this I think is what he meant. 
No, this is God from God. I suppose it would be true to say that when the Hebrew people thought about words, it was something like our cartoon characters, you know, where there's, there's a little balloon coming out of their mouth and inside the balloon is what they're saying. And so the understanding, the Hebrew people spilling over into the New Testament too, um, when God spoke, and in fact when we speak, that it is the very self of God coming as an entity, as a being. And inside of that being is the life, the livingness of God. And he, he comes to give us his word. And that word, because of everything I've just said, just doesn't bounce off ears. Do, do you, I, I, I don't know how I'm sitting still on this one. That the word of God comes to us as the living being of God in action so that it does not return to him void. It shall accomplish. It shall do. And when the word of God is finished, it has grown in our hearts. It has brought about the thoughts that are higher than our thoughts, but they're now in our thoughts. And we're thinking God's thoughts with him, which mean our behavior flows out in the same way. See, it says, his word shall not return to him void. That's a bit of an old English word. What, what is void? It means unable to do the work sent to do. You know, you, you, you go, you're sent on some sort of mission, and you come back and you couldn't do it. And, and so you're, you're empty, void. You, you don't bring anything back with you because you were unable to do it for whatever reason. It means that a task was too difficult or too much opposition. So you return empty. Shucks, I just couldn't do it, you see. I, because he was standing in the way and she did this and he did. I, I just couldn't do it. That's void. Do you realize there's nothing that can stand in the way of God's word? Let this sink in. It says that it shall accomplish. Now, I, I love this word. <clears throat> I think I could talk for the rest of the night on it. Um, it's one of those big words in, in the Scripture. It overlaps in many areas, but essentially it means to make. It's it's a creator's work. It will be an inventor's word uh, to make. It it means to to do something. I mean, the plan is there. Now you put it into action. You do it, and so it, it means to fashion something as a carpenter fashions the wood, as a sculptor fashions the stone. As a painter fashions his paints on the uh, canvas fashion, it, it means to take this and take that and put it together and, and bring forth this. And so it, it's a deed, it's a work. 
and and it's often connected with uh, workmanship. You, you get it's an artisan's word, but also it it's often used. Well, more than often, it's used through the Old Testament with a sense of covenant. That is everything that the covenant demanded, all the obligations of covenant. And for the people of Israel, that meant that their behavior to be in alignment with God's heart and their obedience or their listening to him. And it, it, you, if you read all through, I'm not giving you any text here, just read through the Old Testament, and you'll find it talks about doing the covenant or doing loving kindness or keeping loving kindness. That is, it's, it's not just a bit of religion you have on the shelf. You see, you take it into your very heart and you do it so that people watching how you work recognize that you are in accord with someone that's bigger than their boss. You're doing this unto God. Um, and, and so, I say again, it's, it's the word of making and fashioning, and that would mightily include the making and fashioning and the doing of behavior according to the blueprint of God. Um, and, and so, the response to God that humans made was not just a sort of religious sing-song, but was translated minute by minute into doing and being a life fashioned by the Word of God. Obedience is not just a salute to some invisible God in the skies, eh, yes, sir? It means evidenced in becoming who he calls us to become. Um, it was used of God. God himself uses this word, but he describes what he does in history. And so, like the right there in Genesis, there, there are two words for create, more or less. The first one, bara, which means to call forth out of nothing. That's what I spoke of, his word called forth out of nothing. But then he took what he had called forth out of nothing and he fashioned it and he made it, and that's this word. And and, and so he he made the dust of the earth, but then he took that dust and he fashioned you and I and fashioned our organs and our veins and our ligaments and... He fashioned us and then breathed into us the breath of life. So he called it forth out of nothing. That's the word create belongs to God alone. But this word, this is God fashioning and making and sculpturing and, 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 and doing the blueprint. First great act of God in history. And then, of course, the word is used to describe when they delivered them from Egypt and took them through the Red Sea. He didn't just say, shucks, I love you, I'm sorry for you. He acted, he did, and he fashioned a people. So, this word is telling us God isn't only up in the sky, but he who thinks thoughts other than us comes right down to where we are, and he does them in our life.
shall we say, um, it's often used of what, especially in the New Testament, is called signs and wonders. That is, when, when there's a sign, God does something in a human life, in a human body. He does some act of healing, an act of miracle in a family. And, and that, that is a wonder that leaves me speechless, but a sign that points me to the wonderful heart of God. And, and when there, such acts are in the Scripture, this is the word that's used. God did it. He worked it. You, you begin to get it? He says that the word goes forth out of his mouth. And as it goes forth out of his mouth, he says with absolute assurance, he will accomplish. That is this word. He will do it. He will come and he will be what shall I say? He'll be the God carpenter. He'll be the sculptor. He will take the mess of our lives and put them together in a way that we could never dream. He accomplishes. He does his work. And it's a creative work. It's a work of divine love. But, but it's not finished. He said, it will accomplish what I desire. So this word of God that comes into our lives like a downpour of rain and comes with that wisdom of God and power of God that will accomplish and do and fashion and sculpt us according to his wonderful thoughts, that word is his desire. Oy. That, that's another massive word, because it describes, well, I've got to sort of pile words on top of words here. It describes the desire to do a great favor, and, and that is, is a love. You could say that this word actually, if I translate it literally, means to bend toward that might be the best way to translate it and leave it at that. Bend toward. I, I suppose, would we call it bias? You know, that that we're biased, that we, we bend toward. And, and what this is saying, that this passion of God, this love of God that will abundantly pardon and carry us way beyond the pardon to union with himself. Huh. He's bent toward you. I, I like that. He, his bias is, is he bends to us. He's on your side. He likes you. But it, it's a word that describes great favor toward you. It, it means, and this is in the definition of the word, that he feels deep emotion toward you. I suppose a weak way of saying it is that he's pleased with you. He smiles when he looks at you. He takes great pleasure in you. He delights in you. Have I said enough? Uh, he, he's drawn toward you. Can you think about it? I know you think that you're sort of unnoticed, but you are not. The very heart of God is drawn toward you to delight in you. 
to accomplish what he desires, what he passionately wants for you. Do do you realize the promises of God? For that is really what we're talking about here. The promises of God are, are not only the power of God to bring about what they contain, but also it is the throbbing heart of God love that even would have to use the word emotion that would say he turns toward you and wants this for you. That's when I get very angry with religion that has completely sucked the life out of this and look at the promises of God with written right across them in ugly black is if it be your will. I know you said it, but we, we could never trust you meant it, you say. And, and people, multitudes live under that, that the promises of God are there. They look jolly good. They're great for the kitchen uh, wall. Stick them on the refrigerator. Get all fuzzy about it. But to think that this is exactly what he wills to do and fashion and make in your life, and he does so with heart-thundering passion. He delights, and he delights in you, and he wants this for you. Well, I guess I've said enough, but no, there's more. He says, and without succeeding. Oh, this is succeed. He says that his word His promises, as they come into your life like rain upon the ground, they are going to be successful in growing his life in you. Succeed. The word also means in English, uh, prosper. That that is, this isn't going to be a weak affair where where you, you just get, you know... What can I say? He's not tight-fisted. We we feel we're asking too much. Oh, please. His ways are not your ways. You are raised in a miserable, narrow-minded, thank for a crisp of bread. No, he, he, our God, his thoughts are not your thoughts. He wills that his promise will not just do a job and return to him, it will succeed. It will prosper. It's a a word that elsewhere in the scripture is used to describe a successful venture. It means everything is going as intended and more, just like we planned. It's it's sort of the word that reports back to corporate and they all get up and do a dance and say, it worked, it worked, you see. It's the word that forbids failure. You ever thought about the promises of God entering your life, accomplishing with his desire, but that accomplishment knows no failure, but rather an overabundance of success in achieving its end? I tell you, and I I have to to share this because... Another way it's used in Scripture is 
And in that, and I'm telling you what the Hebrew dictionary would say, it means to rush. Yes, you heard me. Rush. It means to break out or to come mightily. And it was used to describe a victorious army that break out and overcome all their enemies and do so mightily. And so they rush on the field. It was used to describe the success, in this sense that I've been using it, of a powerful weapon in warfare, successful use. And, and this is so good, this word is used to describe the Holy Spirit's effect on people. And so you get the likes of Moses and Gideon, just to name those that come to mind, or teenager David standing before Goliath. And, and you know, how many times do you read it, both Old and New Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon. And when the Holy Spirit came upon, it was like the, the effect went through the person and they became powerful and they were enabled so that they could successfully do whatever had to be done. The prophets, and, and this is, I'm just referencing this, but how many times in the prophets do you read right there in the first verses of the prophecy that the word of the Lord came to, and that that is a translation, but there's this behind it, that the word of the Lord came to them, and it was as if they were being embraced by God, and they were infused with God power and God wisdom, and and that they're carried in that, and they speak the word that God gave them, um, and so it's this, it's the word that you rush forward into complete victory, and you are utterly successful without a thought of failure. Okay, it will be successful, but it will be successful in the matter for which I sent it. Sent. I sent it. God said, I sent this. It's coming forth from God. Coming forth from. That is, as I said before, not from someone alongside of him. This is coming out from the very mind, the heart, the unbegun love, wisdom of God. It comes out from him. Who knows the mind of God? Can pipsqueak down here ever invent what he thinks God thinks like? No, he can't. If I know what God thinks like, he has to come and tell me. And he has. In his word, he comes. And he brings the knowledge of God's heart as only God knows it. Sent. It's used uh, to describe shooting arrows. And so the word of God is shot into our hearts. Love shoots his arrows, a promise into our hearts. It's also used as the stretching out of the hand. 
and there, there's great possibility there that as we lay our hands upon people for healing, so we've joined in the hands of God as he sends his word and heals them. Sent. It means that what you're hearing comes at the initiation of the sender. That is, I say again, this is not hearsay. You know, hearsay doesn't stand up in court. It doesn't stand up when anyone's trying to say anything to me. I want to hear from the original. And, And that's this word. If God sent, then everything that is said comes right out from God, revealing God. And so it would say, like an envoy, like an ambassador or a messenger, he's got a message. In fact, he's become the message. And he comes to turn that message loose. And he will be successful in so doing. Wow. This is getting to be quite a verse, isn't it? The I am. And you know that's the whenever you read the word Lord in the Old Testament, we we should remember that's the name of God I am. Only he's acquired the shape. Could I put it like that? The being of God comes to us in the shape of word. But hidden inside that word, which I suppose could sound quite mundane, but hidden inside is the unbegun, unlimited, unconditional life love of God coming from the life of God and there to reveal with divine ability and to fulfill what it was sent to do. The Word of God. Well, in the Old Testament, the Word of God came through the prophets. I mean, that's, that's what the Old Testament is. But let, let's get this straight. If you've only got the Old Testament, if you've only got the Old Testament, you're, you're, you're off the main river, you're up a creek, because they, they all spoke of the one thing, but it's often disconnected. And that was the the great problem of the ancient rabbis as they read through the prophets, and they said, the one to come, he's a Messiah who will be victorious, and he will crush his enemies. That's what the prophet said. But also the prophet said he would suffer and die. So, there they were stuck. Where where, where do you go? They couldn't imagine it was all one person. And and it it spoke in poetical language. It spoke in vivid imagery because it lacked the ability to say what would really happen. How could I ever explain to you life in the Holy Spirit if you do not know the Holy Spirit? How can I explain to you the taste of an orange as the juice is dripping over my mouth and into my beard, how can I explain to you the taste of an orange until you've tasted one? I, and that was the Old Testament. It's fantastic, as long as you have the New Testament. It would appear that the whole of the Old Testament was about Israel. 
But Jesus said in Luke 24, after he'd risen from the dead, I have to give you a crash course in understanding the Old Testament. He said, the whole lot is about me. Well, that's interesting right there. You see, the Word of God and all the promises of God in that Old Testament, they were pointing to Jesus, every one of them. Even when it didn't quite sound like it, they still were. All the images, all the prophecies, they pointed to that, I was going to say massive, but that's too weak a word. That, that You see, the, the incarnation, God joining us in Jesus, is greater than Genesis 1 creation. Did you realize that? The resurrection from the dead was greater than God saying, let there be light. This is the new creation. And so everything that the Old Testament attempted to say and pointed toward when it happened, you saw how it could all fit together. But all the prophets of the Old Testament, and if you take them alone by themselves... They were words that, shall I say, they'd overheard from God, and they're trying to make sense of it. But when Jesus came, he doesn't have a word from God. He is the Word. Please understand this. I I have saturated my life in the Bible. I believe the Word of God. When I was 17, I began memorizing the New Testament. It ended up that I'd memorized most of the Bible by the time I was done. Yes, I am committed to this, but please, this is not the fourth member of the Trinity. I come to this Word and recognize Jesus is the Word of God. And I meet him in these pages because he reveals himself. Outside of Jesus being the Word of God, we don't have the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And he's the Creator, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I say it again, he didn't have any word from God. He is the word. The prophets spoke words. Jesus is the word that all their words pointed to. And that means every promise in the Old Testament comes to focus in Jesus. Every blessing of the Old Testament comes to focus in Jesus. He's the final Israelite to whom all the covenant promises come to be. He unites all the promises in himself. And he reveals that he is the subject of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of everything that came out of the mouth of God. So he is the ultimate sent one. He is the ultimate delight and desire of the Father. And he is the one who will ultimately accomplish everything that God has ever said. Okay, he will be successful. And he sends the Holy Spirit, who is the success of God, 
to teach us what the Word, Jesus, says and has done. And he brings that Word like rain into our hearts. And we take what he assures us is ours. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and reveals the extent of this treasure that has come to us. This is so real to me. It's been real all my life. This is one of the keys of my existence. The Like rain, like snow, says the Scripture. That's gentle. It doesn't say like a hurricane or a tornado. No, it's like rain and snow. He gently brings the living Word, Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit brings Him into my very cells, the cells of my body, into my DNA. And he fills my body and my innermost soul and spirit. He fills me with this word, this final word of God, who is Jesus. And there he makes known to me his desires, And he is the guarantee he's accomplished it. And he's guaranteed he is successful. And everything that Jesus was sent to do, says the Holy Spirit, as he applies this within me, it shall be so. And we know the abundantly of his love, and we know his compassion, and we know his enablement. And he brings us to actually align our thoughts with his thoughts so that the Scripture says we have the mind of Christ and we can know what has never been known before. We can know a relationship with God that the human brain cannot imagine. Oh, this is, I mean, this isn't the only place. Uh, What about Deuteronomy 32? We're speaking of God speaking, and he says, Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as droplets on the fresh grass and as showers on the herbs. I love that. He says, Just stand there and let my word enter into you. Let it it be like gentle rain. Let it be like the dew of the morning. Or what about a much more aggressive one, shall I say? Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your children and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by the streams of water. I've often likened those parables of Luke 15 to this. Of course, I said likened. This is not the ultimate meaning of the parables, but, okay, take the the shepherd. Well, what's the shepherd doing except that because the shepherd is who the shepherd is, he gets this crazy idea. He's going to plunge into the dangers of the wilderness to save some stupid sheep. Why? Because he said, it's my sheep. 
and therefore everything in my being is focused upon that one thing to bring that sheep home. And so he says he plunged into the wilderness, and I, I, I liken that. Again, I say likened it. Don't go off and say that's what the parable means. But it's it's the Word of God would, would plunge into our earth life with all of the canyons and traps and predators and dangers of a fallen world. And he comes with intent. He comes with a word that is driving him, shall I say, and, and does so with great joy. And he is intent upon success. And when he lays hands upon the sheep, he accomplishes the work and puts the sheep around his neck. What a, what a picture. And then he returns home completely successful, and he does so with desire overflowing. He says, rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. I have been successful, and my word, which said I would go to find, now returns with the sheep. I don't know if that helps you, but that's much what this is saying. Now, Every promise, every promise, uh, it, it says in 2 Corinthians 1, as many as the promises of God may be, as many, uh, and, and some have uh, tried to count them, but many promises are hidden in statements. So it's, it, when it doesn't necessarily sound like a promise, the very fact that God says this is what he will do is, is a hidden promise. I don't really know how many promises of God there are. They pile up in the Old Testament and, and they fill the New Testament, the promises of God. And all I'm asking you to do tonight is to recognize it's, it's not just print. It's not just a passing thought that the Holy Spirit puts in your head. These are the words that came out from the mouth of God. They came out of the mouth of God to the prophets, but they all spoke of Jesus. And Jesus is the sum total. He is the focus. Every promise of God finds its fulfillment and finds its guarantee in him. And that means that because we are in Christ and joined to him, every promise of God comes directly from the Father in Christ through the Holy Spirit to us. This is God himself communicating himself and speaking his words of life into us and it comes into us like rain like snow like dew 2 Corinthians 1:19 for the son of god Christ Jesus now now listen to this carefully it was not yes and no <laughs> that's what i was talking about before People read this and say, well, it's sort of up for grabs. You know, maybe. You know, God, he's yes and no. Depends what mood he's in. 
and that, that mysterious will, you never know what he's thinking. And so we come to the promises of God, and we may not say it as blatantly as that, but it's it's there. It's a canvas on which religion paints this hideous mess that, that we, we're not sure about God. Whereas the Scripture says, we just read it, Jesus was not yes and no. Boy, that's a good one for your kitchen, isn't it? For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, was not yes and no. He doesn't oscillate. It doesn't depend on his mood. He doesn't have some secret, miserable will for you that cuts you out of his yes. It says he was not yes and no. And incidentally, I'm reading from the very heart of God, he says this to you. But is yes in him. For as many as may be the promises of God, in him, in Jesus, they are yes. It's a done deal. So every time, See, this is where, and this, if you do this, that's, that's fine. I mean, if the, if the Holy Spirit's led you to it, that's fine. But I, I can't get into those plans of reading through the Bible in a year or, or whatever. Because, I, you see, I'm not, I'm not cramming for an exam if, if that was the case, then we would have uh, degraded this to being just the information that you, you get when you go to college or whatever, and, and you cram for the exam, and, and you... I mean, it's all dead words. It's formulas. Uh, and once you know it, you put it off on the shelf, and you'll pull it down when you need it. But if I recognize the Word of God that came out from the heart of the Father and was enfleshed in Jesus, and He did in His own person everything to be those promises and guarantee their fulfillment, He accomplished it because that was the desire of God. And he was successful to infinity because he is the sent one of the Father. And the Holy Spirit takes that and he's now putting it into me. I, I, can't, I can't speed read the Scripture. I can't speed read the Word of God. It's got to come like rain. I, I've, I've got to open the soil of my heart. I've got to open the soil of my imagination I've got to be ready to receive the truth of God descending like rain and snow into me. And I've got to participate in my response to that word, that it it grow within me and, and sprout and bring forth after its own kind so that I now walk among men and I, I, I'm actually participating in the thoughts and the ways of God. 
even though up until this point my eyes have never seen, my ears have never heard, has never entered into my heart. Of course not. I've been thinking like a man. But now the Word of God has entered and entered me at my deepest point from whence all thoughts and behaviors arise. And so the Word of God has come. As many as may be the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Now, now let that be like the rain in your life and don't move from there. Let, in the days to come, just go over these promises that, that, that you, you know of, the, these blessed promises. Go, go to that promise that the Holy Spirit put in your heart the other day and just live there. It's yes. I mean, walk around the promise. See its turrets and see its magnificence. It's yes. And my mind can hardly get itself around it, but it's yes. And behind that yes is God, the accomplisher, the doer, the keeper of his word. Behind that yes is, I want you to have this. I desire it. I'm biased toward you. And behind this is his success, the Holy Spirit, He will more than accomplish this in your life. He'll be a success, prosperous. Because God sent it straight to you. So what what do we have to do about that? I thought you would say that. (laughs) Oh, how religion has got into us. We, We can never believe that God will do his work. We always believe that we can do it better. What what does it say? It says, in him all these promises are yes. Wherefore, in the light of that, by him, that's because he lives in you and you live in him, is our amen. Uh, That's it, yes, to the glory of God through us. We participate in this incredible new creation and we participate because he is in us and we are in him and so he shares the fullness of himself with us and he also inspires in us the faith that simply says amen and amen means that's the way it is amen so it is that's it and the promises of god then flow and do their work for they're not a neutral they are the very presence the very presence of the spirit of jesus christ let it be so let it be so well i've got another webinar here that i haven't even got to yet and so we're going to carry this on next week and really see the language of god And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, who is the light of wisdom and truth, that God of all truth, bless you, opening the eyes of your understanding to receive within you the word of God, Jesus himself through the Spirit, bound up in every word he's sworn to accomplish. 
So I bless you in such a life, and I declare the amen. That's the way it is.